Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Game day, your verdict. Well, we may not have had much football today, but that doesn't mean TalkSport turns off. We've had some great stuff on today's shows. Tony Cascarino and Jordan Jarrett Bryan spoke to journalist Tony Evans, who's not hopeful that football will return anytime soon. Laura Woods gets dating advice from Stuart Pearce. Sam Matterface and Perry Groves found out what happened when football last stopped with historian and author Richard Foster. And me, Lindsay Hipgrave and Darren Bent debate who is in the Premier League team of the year so far. This is a slightly different Your Verdict podcast. Let's get into it and join Laura Woods and Stuart Pearce. Right, so we're going to focus now on this little section here about what happens now with football. Um, because ultimately, there are so many different suggestions of what is going to happen with this Premier League, and not just the Premier League, the lower leagues as well, in the footballing pyramid. Um, but for now, Stuart, we know that all football has been cancelled, pro, pro football, until April the 3rd. Um, you and I individually have been speaking to lots of people that we know in the game. Yeah. Um, you've actually gone and, and spoken to, to managers. I've been speaking to, to people. I'll tell you a little bit about what self-isolation is in, in a moment and about some sort of in and amongst the teams that are being self-isolated, what that actually means. Um, how realistic do you think it is, Stuart, that football is going to be cancelled for the rest of the season? They won't be able to play this out. I think that's more realistic than it actually getting started again, personally. Um, wow. I hope I'm wrong. But it, um, the, the biggest problem is, and I try to put myself in that in that situation when you're a manager or a coach, trying to tick players over with nothing at the end of the week is 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 terrible. Honestly, when you've got no focus at the end of the week, it's so difficult. We've got a situation and a date that's put in front of the football industry now of, of the fourth of April. I don't think anyone, if they put their hand on hearts, thinks that the game's going to go ahead on that date. You know, so. What is the situation accordingly from there? It's difficult. You've got to make sure that the players are match fit for that date, knowing full well in the back of your mind that probably that date won't be the start date anyway. So that is the most difficult thing. And try to tick your players over and also give them a break as well is so, so difficult to do, you know? Have you ever been in a situation, not like this, because... I can't imagine anything that, that's ever happened happened that is similar to this in the world of football, but well, in our lifetime especially. Mm. But have you ever been in a situation where you're either a coach or a player and you are training for a game that's a dead rubber or something like that, or there's there's really a lack of motivation for it? Uh, I think if you ask any player that's played in a third or fourth place playoff in a major sort of World Cup or something like that, that is definitely one of those, you know, where you sort of, 
emotionally you fall off the edge of a cliff because you've lost a semi-final. This is probably the nearest thing I, I can think that would replicate that in, in a mental approach where you're training, but you have actually got a game at the end of it. But it, it's a game where you think, well, what's the point in, in many ways, you know? But apart from that, no foot and mouth with horse racing a few years ago. I, I yeah. seem to remember that, you know, that was a little bit start and stop. Will it, won't it? type scenario this is the nearest thing we've had to that mm. so what does it mean when you're self-isolating so this is um we know that some teams and it's not just football it's it's other sports as well are being told to go in and, and self-isolate and, and how do they keep themselves fit i was speaking to somebody in a in in a club and within it that is self-isolating at the moment and ultimately what they're being told is they can't leave the house so you can't go for a run and, and if you were to go for a run don't go on busy high streets so if you really feel like you've got to go out don't go on busy high streets don't go somewhere where there's a lot of people like gigs do it um, getting exercise bikes apparently deep cleaned and sent out to all the players so when we're talking about this it's, it's to keep them healthy and keep them fit keep their exercise levels up so if they don't have any in their house already they will be sent exercise bikes they'll sit on there and they'll be expected to keep themselves fit um, they're also being given extra nutritional advice and that's to cut calories so they're not sitting at home nothing to do watching TV, playing FIFA or something and, and eating, eating their way through to a couple of extra sizes in the, in the older clothing. Um, it's crazy, really, when you think about it, isn't it? It's, this is what they have to do. This is what players at top tier have to do. Yeah, but bear in mind, this is top tier. It yeah. drops off very quickly after that. So what do the players in the lower leagues do as well that have got a similar type of thing well, you're not privy, are you? Not always privy to being sent something like an exercise bike and specific um, dietary requirements to stay healthy and stay fit. I mean, I think I'd be climbing the walls if I was encouraged to sit at home and do nothing, which actually is what I do on my days off, to be quite fair. Um, but it does, it does open you up to a completely different world with so many different questions. It's, it's quite interesting as well because this is the first weekend this is happening. Mm. Imagine by week four, I'm not saying that you're going to be isolated for four weeks but as as much as this goes on and what you were just saying about players being motivated they get to the point where they can't play for four weeks five weeks Stuart yeah or, or alternatively I mean a decision will have to be made on the Euros as well I yeah. mean I'm, I was just thinking of someone like Harry Kane if you like if Harry was being pushed comes to shove about not being fit I, I would suggest that any player really and include Harry in this will be delighted that you know, that he's got a time scale on whether to get fit this summer or alternatively, you know, it'll be a breath of fresh air if he wasn't going to be fit this summer. Clubs like Aston Villa, so a situation like this where you've got Aston Villa who've got a number of injuries, but especially one John McGinn that they were hoping to have him mm. back for the League Cup final, he wasn't quite there. I mean, surely, that is there a... I don't want to make, again, make light of a situation, but surely they must be sitting there thinking, OK, right, this buys us a bit more time. It's not making light of it. I used to be like it as a player. Mm. If I was injured and our game got cancelled on Saturday, I was absolutely delighted because it ticked off another game I wouldn't miss, you know? Mm. So, and the same with a prior. The fact, if, if the league does get started in whenever, the dynamic of which team would have been uh, relegated might all change, you know, in regard to what players are available, like you've just mentioned, what players won't be available at the time. And... I tell you, the one thing I wouldn't want to do, we all look at sort of the governing bodies of everything to make decisions. Whatever decision they make on relegation, promotion, who wins the league, if the league doesn't carry on anymore or not, does it get cancelled? Horrible decisions to make, aren't they? You cannot please everybody in, in this scenario. 
That's the thing, Stuart. I would. This would be the worst job. The worst mm. job. If you're if you're at the top and you're in that organisation, you're the one that has to decide what happens here. It's an absolute minefield, whichever way you look at it. You also could look at it. And when we talk about players coming back from fitness, what about managers whose jobs are under threat? Mm. So this weekend, managers that might have had a crunch game that now are being afforded a little bit more time too. Mm. Well, there's certain certain teams in this scenario. If you're mid table and you're comfortable on points and that type of thing, you don't mind this break. It's not a problem for you if you're Aston Villa or you're Bournemouth or whatever you're in a state of limbo and that state of limbo you're in a high pressure state of limbo basically because mm. you know when football starts if it starts again you've got to make sure that your team are firing on all cylinder because you have not got chance to lose a game or two because you've not prepped your team well enough game day your verdict on talk sport. There's a lot of talk about whether football is braced for a possible uh, total shutdown until September even, which will leave could leave many companies and individuals fearing for their future. Um, we're going to speak now to uh, Tony Evans, journalist and sports broadcaster. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, George. How are you today? Very, very good, my friend. Very good. Um, you've written an article, Tony, um, where you talk about... Uh, you've been quite critical of the Premier League's uh, reaction to the coronavirus. Tell us a little bit about why you were so critical and what you think the Premier League should have done. Well, I think it's uh, probably, I wouldn't go so far as to say uh, being critical of them. What the Premier League did and all the football authorities did all week is follow the government's advice. And the, the advice was to carry on. And they thought to get at least another week out of it, um, certainly get the Monday night game over, uh, the, the Merseyside Derby, and then possibly next weekend's games. And then on Thursday afternoon, things changed pretty drastically because um, they, they, there was a, a sort of a call was made from the Cobra meeting in London, the government crisis meeting, which was basically uh, when telling the football authorities, well, we're not sure we've given you the right advice. It might be an idea to shut down. And then on top of that, the uh, the, the Arteta situation happened on um, Thursday night. And suddenly everyone was into full-on crisis mode. Uh, the Premier League wanted to continue playing behind closed doors. But the fact that players began testing positive for the coronavirus that meant that wasn't going to happen. And suddenly we were into a, a situation where someone who was involved in, in the meetings this week said to me, it's absolutely ludicrous uh, to, to believe that it'll be back next month, football. Uh, they believe that it'll be at least September before the game is. But no one's prepared for it. There's been no planning for it. And suddenly we're, we're facing, for a lot of clubs, oblivion. Mm. Tony, what what happened abroad was quite clear that they went through a stage of the coronavirus. Then spectators weren't allowed to go and watch games. Football was like Italy, and and we've seen in other countries continued. And then there was obviously now the lockdown is happening. So do you think the reaction was too quick before you know no spectators and then a lockdown? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's some. Uh sort of muddy thinking going on on the conference. I mean, did you see the crowds outside the um, the PSG Dortmund game, um, which was played before no spectators? But there are absolutely thousands of people running around the Stade de France. And so, I mean, the, the, there was a, a sense that 
by by doing by football in general, by doing things piecemeal and not coming up with a coherent strategy, have, have sort of got it wrong a little bit. I mean, UEFA are meeting on Tuesday, and they're going to have a conference call with all the they put it, the game stakeholders and to see what, what you know what they're going to do. But well, hopefully, what what they'll have is an overall plan for the entire game. Because what you can't have to can't be doing is say, for example, you know, we don't get any football till September. The Premier League decide to finish this season in September. And then you've got Serie A who say, okay, well, we'll just call it a day and you know, we'll, we'll, we won't award, because they're talking about no award and a title and just people in the positions that they're in now, um, we'll get the European slots. And if they did that, and suddenly all the, the leagues will be out of sync. Whatever happens, someone needs to come up with a coherent plan so everyone is doing the same thing so the game can go forward together. Tony, you mentioned the PSG game and we saw uh, that obviously behind closed doors and we saw the, the, the fans outside the stadium and, and that there's been advising that that's just in, a, in, in some way almost worse than uh, letting fans in to watch the game. But I also find it quite equally weird that Liverpool decided to allow 3,000 Madrid fans into Anfield for that for that game as well. That, that for me kind of really illustrated I don't know what individual clubs can do because if you say on one side one game is behind closed doors that's better for people's safety and then another club says well we'd rather them inside the stadium than congregating outside do you have a bit of sympathy for, for the clubs in terms of do we follow the leagues do we follow the government's advice what, what to do and what not to do very much so because certainly up until Thursday the government was saying that the one thing that was imperative is that clubs didn't take individual action, that everyone had to do the same thing and follow government advice. Now, that began to break down. Um, in Scotland in particular, the clubs were saying, well, we think we need to act. So, uh, you know, there was one of the people involved in the talk said to me, that the mood amongst all the clubs is pretty upbeat and positive. What they were really looking for all week was guidance and and someone who could give them a proper strategy. And as soon as they got that, I think everyone felt a little bit better. At the moment, I think there's a, a, a broad agreement within the game. Now, what will begin to happen, that will begin to fracture next week because there are certain clubs who have different agendas and they want different things. I mean, uh, there are a number of um, Premier League clubs who'd like the season declared null and void now and start again in uh, for next season as if it was last season, which obviously Liverpool won't be very keen on that. But say, for example, the likes of Tottenham would because they'd be in the Champions League. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get that sort of backbiting going on the next week or two. And then, of course, when it begins to dawn on the football league clubs that how a prolonged layoff is going to hurt them financially and how many of them will put in danger, the very existence in danger, I think we'll begin to see everything unravel and infighting certain left, right and centre. And Tony, look, there's no, going to be no fair solution for this. That's quite clear. There's going to be many teams that feel that they're hard done by. I I sympathise, and me and Jordan talked about this earlier, about clubs lower down the pecking order that are fighting for existence and the Premier League will survive. There isn't an issue for long term for Premier League. They will be OK. It might affect their transfer budgets, what they can do, you know, for 
targets for next season. But down the ladder, it's a much more serious, you know, consequence. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the immediate problem for Premier League clubs is for players that are out of contract and whether the transfer window will actually open. Because, I mean, clearly, if we're not going to have any football, if we're going to restart the season in September, what you do, you can't really have people moving about. So that'll be for them. <laughs> but for smaller clubs, the cash flow situation is going to get really drastic very, very quickly. Um, you know, it's uh, Premier League clubs, um, the, the, the match day income is a shrinking proportion mm. of overall revenue. So it doesn't matter that much. I mean, Villa might have a, an issue because of their overspending in the, in the championship in the football league. But most of them will be okay. But for clubs lower down uh, the, the pyramid, well, you know, they've got to pay wages and there's no income coming in. Match day income is massive to clubs from the championship down and that's just been taken away. And so essentially, there'll be very, very few sources of income. I mean, what, what do the um, the broadcast companies do? Well, they certainly won't, won't want to pay when they're getting no product. And again, they're going to have subscribers, you know, for... Uh, coming to them and saying, well, you know, we're getting no football. Why are we paying a monthly subscription? So that'll get passed on to the clubs. So, I mean, I, I asked one of the people involved in the talks whether there was, I mean, this, this should be a wake-up call for football and maybe we should be looking at restructuring the season so that there is space for, you know, if something does go badly wrong and also stop players getting run into the ground, maybe, you know, less teams in the divisions, um, you know, sort of shorter league seasons. So there is a bit of spare capacity in the year where if something goes wrong, you can't actually fit, you know, fit more games in. And the person involved said to me, he said, well, that might happen naturally. He said, because there might be a significant number of clubs that cease to exist after this. And while, you know, you might look at it now and say, and you can say a lot of things that are being said at the moment seem like scaremongering, but there is, there, there is more than a grain of truth in that. And that's a frightening prospect for quite a lot of smaller clubs across the country. And just finally, Tony, I mean, we're just seeing that uh, there's an emergency Premier League meeting that's uh, scheduled for Thursday to discuss what, what happens with the rest of this season. And obviously the situation regarding coronavirus is an ongoing one that seems to be getting worse and worse and it's going to be developing and changing over the days and weeks. But what, what, is, what, what do you think's going to happen in terms of uh, you know, sporting events, the Euros, we're expecting that to get pushed back next year. But that's not easy either because then next year you go into other tournaments that, that kind of impedes on the qualifiers for World Cups. How, how do you think this next 12 months, considering this is a developing story, sports-wise is going to, to, to manifest itself? Well, I think we're going to have a very, very blank summer in terms of big sporting events because most of them won't be played. Uh, I think the knock-on effect, uh, I suspect they will play the end of the season uh, wherever happens they'll get the 10 games out of the way and play a short football season next year um, I think from, from UEFA's point of view they're quite happy to push the Euros back till next year um, and it's because it'll clash with the Club World Champion Club World yeah. Cup extended Club World Cup which is incidentally to be held in China 24 teams and they'd quite like to kill that UEFA in their war with FIFA if they could um, so I think we'll see that I think we're into a period of real politicking and um, and, and, and 
I think it's going to be a very, very difficult time for sport and institutions, never mind football. I think this is unprecedented. And I, I think none of us can quite predict where it's going to end. Uh, I, I think I can say with some certainty that they will finish this this year's league because of um, um, a sense of fairness. But after that, I think... I think we could we could go in a number of directions, and you know, and I mean, they're going to call off the Champions League um, on Tuesday as well. They'll probably that'll be they probably won't play that. That um, there'll be an asterisk there, you know, so no team will win it this year. So, but I, I, I have to say, at this moment, game day, your verdict. On Talk Sport. And we're going to have a look at your team of this season so mm. far. We've asked you Hard, to, difficult, to put really this difficult. together. There really has been some star players this season, haven't there? And some positions are obviously harder than others. But um, what, what have you gone for in terms of formation? So I've gone for 4 3 3. Yeah. But my three up top is not, you like centre forward, wide left, wide right. Mine are like three where you've got a mid, uh, an attacker behind the front two. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Should we start a goalkeeper then? So, goalkeeper, I've gone Dean Henderson. Okay. I, th- I think he's been brilliant. I mean, yeah. I think they're up there for clean sheets. And it, it was really close between uh, Nick Pope, who's, who's been fantastic to work as well, Dean Henderson and Raul Patricio. Now, the Raul Patricio one, I put him in there because I felt like I had to give Wolves a kind of a... Get him in there somewhere because they've, they've been brilliant. They're right up there in the league. They're, they're, I think they're, what, they're a couple of points of a fourth. They're right in with the mix, but for me, I had to go Dean Henderson. I think he's been sensational. I do think that whenever the next qualifier is, if it's any time soon, I think he's going to be in the mix to become number one. Do you think he starts ahead of Pickford? I think if you're going on current form, then you'd have to say him and Nick Pope are probably ahead of Pickford. But if you're going on, obviously, experience, then how do you leave Pickford out? He's been number one. He was brilliant in the World Cup, done really, really well. So And Gareth Southgate, again, trusts him. So mm. how do you move on from him? So that's a difficult conversation and situation for Gareth Southgate to be in. And that's not the only position that he's got to worry about, to be fair. And Henderson's given Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer a lot to ponder, you know I what? think, going forward. I don't think they have. I think, if anything, he's helped Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I think, because now, obviously, there was a time where you'd go, if De Gea wasn't there, oh, what what do we do now? It's, yeah. it's, it's you know what I mean. It's a case state of emergency. What, who's going to go and go for us? But I think even although it, Romero's not been a bad number two for he, them, he's been he? okay. But De Gea was so far ahead of everybody. But I think now I can honestly see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer looking at this situation again. Well, if someone comes in with a sizable bid for De Gea probably let him go and let Henderson go back to Man United and become their number one. So I do really think that's a possibility. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Henderson, mm. actually. I really do. Let's go with your back four, then. Who you got? So right back, I've gone with Trent. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it can't be anyone else, can it? No, I mean, you talk about his distribution and I mean his assist and the way he goes forward. I mean, at times, defensively, he, he can get caught out. And I think that's maybe where, well, not even maybe, one Bissaka, for me, is probably the best one-to-one defender. Yeah. Um, in the Premier League and if not in world football it seems impossible to get past him and I do I do wonder with England if, if one if one Bissaka is going to be in the squad but if he's as well if we're playing someone like I don't know a Belgium and Hazard who's on the left does he play one Bissaka or does he play yeah. Trent because I think that is something you have to seriously think about but what a great option to have that exactly. you can bring him in in and that situation and we've seen Southgate do that before with the fullbacks where he changes them from game to game so but yeah I've gone for Trent in this in this instance I think he's been brilliant um 
And obviously centre-backs, I imagine Van Dijk's in there. Yeah, Van, obviously Virgil van Dijk speaks for itself. And Sanchez is the other one as well at Leicester. Okay, I think yeah. he's been absolutely brilliant. I mean, I think he's even the quickest... Is he not recorded the quickest speed in the Premier League as well? So he's quicker than I thought. I thought he's defended really well. And I think he's really... I mean, Johnny Evans deserves a mention as well because he's been fantastic alongside him. But for me, Sanchez just got the edge on him. And again, when you're giving out, obviously, honourable mentions, like Chris Basham at Sheffield United, Jack O'Connell been absolutely fantastic at, you wouldn't actually, put Maguire in there not ahead of them two no no I mean Leicester are third in the table fourth in the table so they're up there for a reason and, and he, everyone wondered how they were going to replace him and he's, he was there already <laughs> ex- exactly so for me Sanchai is, uh, he's got to be in there and obviously my left back's Robertson now left back was a bit of a toughie because Chilwell was fantastic but he's kind of gone off a little bit and I could Luke Shaw's come off to his own recently but I think Robertson all season has been fantastic so he's in there who who do you think has been Liverpool's best fullback this season? Trent or Robertson? Trent, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think Trent. Every time he's coming to his own. Every he? time he puts that ball into the box, it's with quality. Yeah. And every time he puts it in there, you think, where is someone? They've got, you've got to score that. And it's very rare you get a, a fullback or a wide player who puts in the ball with such quality so frequently. The last one I can think of is maybe David Beckham. And he's just getting better and better, isn't he? Exactly. Midfield. Holding midfield, I've gone for Ollie Norwood, and I think he's been absolutely. Sp- sensational for Sheffield United and when I said a lot of people probably looked at other names and gone how can they not have you know I mean other people ahead of him but when you think about what he does the way Sheffield United play he's so integral to the way they play because every time a fullback or sorry not a fullback a uh, centre half goes on an overlap who's the one who just sits into that position it's only Norwood and he covers so many ground he starts off attacks he's distribution on the ball for me he's been as a holding midfielder he's been right up there so that's why he's in my team in the season Okay, eight, ten, eighty-nine. Let us know if you agree or disagree with Darren on the holding midfielder of this season so far. Mm. Who else is in there? Uh, the other two kind of speak to themselves, and I think these two are going to go head to head when it comes to the PFA Player of the Year, and that's Kevin De Bruyne and Jordan Henderson. Who would you pick? Me, I'm going to go Jordan Henderson. One, obviously, because I know him and he's a good friend of mine. But, <laughs> <laughs> but secondly, I think we really fully appreciate him because when we, when he's not been there for Liverpool, I know he, he played in the game against Atletico, but before that, when they had that little ropey patch. He was, he was, you could see that he wasn't there and it really affected them. So for me, he's been brilliant this season. He runs his organisation, his leadership. I mean, he is their captain and he's been absolutely sensational. So he has to be in there. And they have realised, haven't they, when he's just not there, just how much they, they miss him this season. Exactly. And it's not even from like a, a maybe even a footballing point of view, it's just him on the pitch, leader, obviously, organisation. Sometimes you, you need these characters in, in, in your dressing room, in, on the pitch. And as I said, he's been brilliant. Everyone's starting to appreciate him now, do you think? And it's unfair because he's been even England fans <laughs> exactly, and, and that's what I, I, if I was him, and it annoys me a little bit because why is it we've got we appreciate him now because he hasn't been playing for the last couple of games? Like we, we shouldn't have to wait till him, he gets an injury, and we sh- and um, we shouldn't have to wait till he gets an injury and he's not there for us to start game. Well, you know what? That Jordan Henderson's a top player because he's been a top player for many years. You don't captain an iconic side like Liverpool if you're no good. I've had so many good forwards in the league so far this season yeah. really shining and standing out for their team so how have you narrowed this down so my front three so I've got Mane in the hole because I think he's been the best out of the three I know I think maybe Salah's got more goals than him but I'm sure if you ask most Liverpool fans this season who's been better out of the two they'd definitely say Mane he's so crucial to the way they play goals assists how hard he works for the team so he's in the hole and up top I've gone with Vardy and Aguero 
Vardy, obviously, top goals in the Premier League. Yeah. Didn't score for nine games, but yet he's still sitting on 19 Premier League goals already, which is scary. I think he's 9-9 to nine as well before he joins into the under club. And Aguero, obviously, speaks for itself. No Jimenez? Jimenez? No Aubameyang? You know, Jimenez is on my list and I really wanted to put him in, but I couldn't put him ahead of the, any of them two. Aubameyang as well, he's been playing wide left. Deserves a thing, but I'm, I love Aubameyang, but if I had the choice out of Aubameyang or Aguero, I'm probably going to go Aguero. Outside shout for Calvert-Lewin, maybe? He's on the list, as much as that annoys one of the producers in there, that he doesn't like Calvert-Lewin, but I, I really rate Calvert-Lewin. But if you talk about with these guys all season, not quite yet, but the, listen, the last 10 games, he's certainly up there. He's been fantastic, Calvert-Lewin. He's really staking his claim for, for getting in that England squad, whenever that may be. Absolutely, and there's a couple of others that, that aren't in there that, mm. that people might sort of pick out who have had brilliant seasons. Obviously, you've already mentioned Mo Salah, you haven't put him in there. Mm-hmm. Grealish as well, perhaps? He's been such a star this season. Yeah, but where'd you play him? Has he had a better season than Mane? Mm-hmm. No. Better than Vardy? Well, Vardy, well you can't put him centre-forward, so you, can't, you might as well you take it. You could take t- Norwood out, maybe, and change the formation of it, I don't know. You think you think Grealish has been better than Oli Norwood? When Villa are sitting <laughs> where they are and he's sitting where they I are? I just think in terms of actually solely carrying a team, and obviously they're, I know they're not safe, they're, what, three points out of the relegation zone at the moment but they've been much bigger trouble without him in terms of one team relying on a player and him almost single-handedly uh, carrying them through the season at times yeah listen Jack and, and the way he's matured off the pitch the way he's you know dealing with the whole package he's obviously been crit- criticised in the past for the way he's handled listen, himself he's, and just coming into England contention he has as been well. absolutely brilliant but I just think Oli Noor has been his team Sheffield United people would never have said they were one of the favourites to get relegated and now they're sitting where are they 6th or 7th in the Premier League and he's been he's spent every game Oli Noor he's been absolutely magnificent and if you talk about the other two going forward Jordan Henderson we've seen the impact we spoke about it and Kevin De Bruyne I can't, just put, I can't get him in there and I know for Villa as well he's been playing wide left well he's never going to get in front of Mane not in that position I like the fact you've put Norwood in there because there's so often unsung heroes, aren't there? Because mm. they're not the forward positions and they don't get the credit that they deserve. So uh, so that's it then. That's um, Darren's team of the season so far. You've got Henderson, Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk, Siunchu, Robertson, Oli Norwood's in there. He's gone for De Bruyne, Henderson, Mane and Vardy and Aguero up front. Game day, your verdict on Talk Sport. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. 
T's and C's apply. Now, have a listen to this. TalkSport's very own former Chelsea defender, Jason Cundy, has gone back to his old stomping ground to catch up with current Blues defender Cesar Aspilicueta. So the Spanish international reveals a story behind his unique competitive nature. And he also gave Stuart a few bars of his Stamford Bridge initiation song. Hi, I'm Jason Cundy. I'm in Surrey, in Cobham, at Chelsea's training ground, where I've come down to interview Chelsea's right-back, centre-back, left-back, and current captain, Cesar Aspilicueta, also known as Dave. So when you first arrived, Chelsea fans kind of struggled to pronounce your second name, so they called you Dave instead. How about nowadays? Is it Cesar Aspilicueta, Aspi or Dave? How would you like to be introduced? <laughs> well, you know, uh, just, uh, you know, people call me in different ways, but I think everybody knows already my name. So when you first heard Dave, when the Chelsea fans called you Dave, what did you think of that? Well, to be fair, it was the first time I was in an audience with the Spanish players at the time, Fernando... Torres, Juan Mata, and Oriol Romeo, and I got the question by one fan, and you know, I couldn't imagine that that, that could go that far. To be fair, but you know, it just you know, some people are still in the street. They call me Dave. And, yeah. and you answer to Dave? <laughs> I do. So you work. So no one wants to start off as a defender. You start off as a striker. Yeah. What do you like as a striker? <laughs> we like Diego Costa, Diego Drogba. Who you like? Well, I don't think that level. That's why I went to to be right back at the end. But yeah, I, you know, when I was coming through the academy, I moved to right winger, and then I made my debut uh, with, uh, when I was 17 years old as a right winger. But then certainly a manager at the time, Kuko Ziganda, thought that I could be a good uh, a good fit in the right back position. Even if we we had uh, two at the time, and with 18 years old, I started playing regularly in in La Liga as a right back. So you have played every single position, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and 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 tell us, there is a competitive side to you. I know, having spoke to a lot of the other Chelsea players, they actually say you are the most competitive player they've ever come up against. Where's that come from? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's the way I am, and you know, sometimes even when I am off the off the pitch and I am playing some games, you know, whatever it is, I want to win. And that competitive side of me, I, you know, is is something that the day I I lose this, uh, you know, I think it's not a good sign. Are you like that at home? Yeah, you, you're competitive with, yeah, yeah. with the family. Kids? <laughs> now the, the, the only the only time I let my my daughter or my son uh, win games. Yeah, uh, you know, even my wife has to tell me, "Hey, <laughs> I'm just that. I've got I've got a picture of you in the garden going t- <laughs> no, to no, tackling your kids." Not that level. Not that So there's always an initiation when you come to Chelsea, right? What did you have to do? I had to sing uh, the night before the the Super Cup final in Monaco. And what did you say? I think I sang that bad that uh, we didn't what win did, that what game. What did you sing? <laughs> I, I just introduced myself and I sang a Spanish song. But, you know. Do you want to give us a quick rendition now? <laughs> just give us a quick go. Por la raja de tu fada. <laughs> That's from a stopper. What's not to love? <laughs> So when you came to Chelsea, of course, there were some big players. Didier had left, Ashley Cole was there, Petr Cech, Frank Lampard, your, now your gaffer, uh, John Terry, and you were the younger lad. What was that like coming into that dressing room? 
Well, obviously, when you start looking around and you see that uh, big players around, uh, you know, I just try to, to to learn from them, to have the chance to be with them on the pitch, and to train hard as as I could because I knew that the level was was so high and. If I wanted to be successful, I had to to be at at my best every day. So your best every day. What is your best position? Because you played right back, you played centre half, you played left back. Because of course you took Ashley Cole's position initially. Mm-hmm. Jose put you there, and Tenno Conte played you uh, right right side of a three. You've, where do you prefer? I, I, I don't mind. To be yeah? fair, yeah, <laughs> I love to play. You know, and. Uh, <laughs> I, I had this characteristic of me since uh, you know I, I arrived and I played in different positions. Always I try to to be available for the Meyer in whenever he thinks that needs me for the team, and I just try to enjoy and to learn because uh, the, every time that uh, change comes, I try to to improve and to learn from different positions. Now, of course, Frank Lampard was a teammate of yours. He's now the gaffer. John Terry was a teammate of yours. He's now assistant manager, Aston Villa at the, at the weekend. Is that going to be a bit weird? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the cycle of football, you know. Uh, yeah, at the beginning, it's a bit, uh, you know, different because uh, we, we share the dressing room. But now it's, you know, the life carries on. And we know that we are not going to be footballers for the whole life. So uh, the new positions that uh, now, you know, the former players, they take in that case... Mm. Frank and and John now they they are you know is it weird though having Frank as your gaffer now or is it just something you just nah, adapt to? No, nah, it's fine, you it? adapt quick. Yeah, you never fell out with him when you were players. No, 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 never. As a, some <laughs> no, no, we had a good relationship. Teammates always, you know, uh, no problem at all. And now he's the manager, and you know, it's, I take it completely natural. You know? Abraham goes for goal himself and scores. And neatly dispossessed by Fikayo Tomori does not look out of place whatsoever for Chelsea. No, he's looked very calm and composed. Fantastic cross. It's turned in by Pulisic and Chelsea lead by two goals for nil. Since Frank has come in, there's been eight debutants, and not including Tammy and Tamori. What has it been like as now the older player? And you must... Uh, I mean, one of the I don't, oldest. I don't not the older. Not yet. the older. You, you're, you're not the older. <laughs> I'm still 30. One of, hey. yeah, I don't, but <laughs> when you've got someone like Billy Gilmore coming yeah, in, yeah. Who, who could be your son. <laughs> no, <laughs> not no, your son, but you understand the... Yeah, yeah, what's, no, that, what's that like for you? That is, you know, it's another experience and a great responsibility as well to uh, to lead uh, the boys that they are coming through to, you know, we know that uh, they have been working so hard in the academy on loans. And we know that we we have one of the most successful academies in in the world. So uh, now this year they have had uh, a lot of uh, chances. Uh, they are taking them, and it's very pleasant to to see the boys doing well because uh, you know we have a great uh, and bright future ahead of us. Mane trying to burst into the penalty area, and Billy Gilmore goes across, steps in front of him, and brings the ball out towards this near side. I mean, he's been absolutely outstanding. Billy Esther is what they're calling him now. And you've played with him. I don't want to put too much pressure yeah. on his shoulders, but he is really a quite a special player, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, to have the two performances they, that he has had in, in the last two games and the personality uh, that he has shown on the pitch is, is big, but we know that he's still 18 and he has a great uh, career ahead of him, hopefully. And, and, you know, the way he's working, I'm sure that he will do really well and he will keep improving because... We cannot think that at 18 he has reached uh, his potential. So, you know, big, big things coming up. Game day, your verdict on Talk Sport.
Uh, let's speak to Richard Foster, who is a football writer with The Guardian and author of the book Premier League Nuggets. Um, and he joins us on the line now. He's a football historian. And what we wanted to talk to Richard about was... Uh, well, not has this ever happened before? Because we're pretty clear that it hasn't ever happened before. But are there any other situations that we can draw comparisons from? Hello, Richard. Uh, hi, Sam. How are you? Very good, thank you. Thank you very much for coming on the programme today. Let's talk a little bit then about uh, precedence and, and where we are, because the suspension or the cancelling of leagues. If we go back to the, 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 the 1930s, uh, or even before that, the 1930s, sort of 14 to, to, to 19 period where two wars stopped football in this country on a professional basis I'm, yeah. I take it they didn't come they didn't get to the end of a season there so so what happened? Well actually in World War I uh, when the season started a uh, war was declared shortly afterwards and the belief was that as you probably remember they all said oh the war will be over by Christmas so they continued to play the season and then it kept going, and actually, um, by the end of the season, they suddenly realised that this war wasn't going to be uh, over so quickly. So, so they played all the way through a season? Yep. So 1914, 1913-14, uh, 14-15 uh, continued, and then they suspended it, and they didn't come back. So what they did is they turned it into uh, regional competitions, um, and there was still football being played, but uh, it was um, obviously a fairly minor part because most of the footballers would then be needed for national service. Um, there were quite a few charity games played. And actually, if you remember, women's football started because women were used in the munitions factories. And they got big crowds as well, didn't they? They started playing. And you've probably heard of Dick Kerr's ladies team. That's, that's when it began. Um, and they were incredibly popular at the time until the FA decided in their wisdom to ban it in 1921, so women's football was stopped. Very strange decision, that, wasn't it? Richard, did the, is that where the rivalry between Spurs and Arsenal started? Well, there, there, there's certain precedents here, because, as you remember, um, in that season, just uh, for the 1914-15 season, um, Chelsea and actually uh, Tottenham had finished last and they were about to be relegated when obviously the whole thing was suspended. But there was an issue with apparently a Man United-Liverpool game when Man United was about to get relegated possibly. There was a bit of a, um, what shall we call it, um, a fix. And Man United won 2-0 and it came out later that it had actually been a fixed game. And Chelsea wow. and Tottenham complained about it. Arsenal had finished actually sixth in Division 2 but in the end, Arsenal got um, uh, elected to Division 1 uh, and Chelsea and Tottenham stayed in Division 1. So Arsenal are the only teams who have got promoted without actually gaining promotion via the league. Um, and that was uh, obviously the start of some problems, but they did then continue. As you know, Perry, they've had 100 years continuous membership at the top division. Which doesn't stop telling us all day Richard, when we start discussing So Arsenal have never been promoted and never been... Re- was there a few um, palms crossed with silver, do you think? Were there a few what, sorry? Palms crossed with silver. Did they buy their way in, is what he's asking. I, I would hesitate to say that, obviously. but um, That's you know, the rumour, though, isn't it? There's influences going on in the Football League management. The, the other interesting thing is about, you know, talking about World War One, World War Two, suspending football. In During uh, World War One, Tottenham 
had to play at Highbury because White Hart Lane was out of action. In World War Two, Highbury was out of action because it was being used uh, for, for various uh, wartime efforts. So they had to go and play at White Hart Lane. So that probably also exacerbated the Tottenham Arsenal rivalry. Yeah, because it didn't get nasty until about 1921, from what I was reading earlier on. Um, in World War Two, then, did the, when, I mean, when was the outbreak of war? I mean, sorry, my history isn't great, but did it did it come in the middle of a season? What, what no, happened there? It was, uh, September. So it was September. September. Yeah. 1939. So as a result of that, the football season would probably only have been about four games, five games old. Exactly right, yeah. So uh, they immediately called a halt to it and they actually then turned it into regional leagues. So they kept playing football uh, and there were eight regional leagues uh, which were then reduced to two regional leagues the following year because, again, the, the FA and the league, the football league used to meet every year to see what was going on during the Second World War. Uh, and clearly they couldn't bring it back because most of the players, again, were going to be eligible for national service. So, uh, as I say, it was eight regional leagues turned to two regional leagues. I will point this out that in 1941, Crystal Palace won the Southern Regional League. So there's another notch in our, our bedpost of amazing honours that we've cracked on with since <laughs> 1905. So, Richard, what happened, obviously, when the war finished in 1945? Yep. When did they start the, the football leagues again and how did they structure it? Who did they decide who went where? And what would you do at this particular time with the situation we're in now? Yeah, I mean, they, they basically uh, reinstituted the FA Cup, which had been stopped um, in 1945-96. The, the league season restarted in 1946-47 and they basically went back to what it was in that 1939-1945 season. So, as Sam points out, there only been, I think there were three or four games that had only been played. So, it was not similar to the position now where we're three quarters of the way through the season. So, they just wiped out 1939-1945 and started the game 1946-1947. As a playoff expert and I say yeah. this because one of your other books is uh, about the history of the fabulous world of football playoffs and how we've over the last 25 years really sort of come to appreciate and love the playoffs yeah. uh, I think when it first was muted I don't think people were as interested as they are now uh, but now it's like the, you know the gr cracking way to end the, the football league season is, is there any sort of, in your mind, any way of finishing the season slightly differently with with, with a sort of playoff system, or would you? How would you advocate doing it now? I mean, you mentioned well, the historical precedents, say, and there I'm aren't a big really fan any. Of the playoffs, but the playoffs that we have for the football league, you know, are predetermined. We've got them. We know what's going to happen. I know a few people complained about them, saying you know a sixth team shouldn't go up instead of a third place team, but the rules are set and they've been set for a long time, so you know exactly where you need to finish to get automatic promotion. On for the situation we have now, I think that would be really difficult. How who are you going to qualify for the for Europe uh, playoffs if you're within ten points or within four places? And similarly with relegation, do you go up to, you know, obviously you've got the three currently in the relegation slots, you've got three or four above them, how far do you go up? Do you go to Southampton who are, you know, nine points clear or whatever it might be? I think it would be difficult. I mean, it would be extraordinary and there would be some fantastic games, but I don't think I can see that being organised. I, I can't see the clubs agreeing to that because, as I say, where do you draw the line? What do you think what, will happen then? 
what I think will happen, and the most sensible option is they will suspend, keep the suspension going for as long as possible. As you point out, we've got the UEFA meeting on Tuesday. I think with, you know, really, I can see the Euros being suspended. We use that time to finish off the season. If still the ban on uh, playing football live continues beyond June, then we do have an issue. But I, I just think we have to finish this season. And whether that runs into July, August, September, I just think the, you know, it's, it's the credibility of the whole league would be shot to pieces unless we finish the season. Uh, yeah, if we'd I mean, only been a quarter way through, I can see why you'd abandon it. Yeah. But we are very close to it. As you say, there are only 10 or 9 games left in the Premier League and similar in the Football League. We have to finish it off. Otherwise, I just say, you know, the credibility is gone. Game day, your verdict on Talk Sport. OK, earlier this week, TalkSport's Jeff Peters sat down with Leicester City goalkeeper Kasper Schmeichel and they spoke about Jamie Vardy, uh, his goalkeeping idols and a manager that clearly has had a huge influence on him, Nigel Pearson. Go! Nigel was, was a huge influence on me. He was a manager who, uh, who really gave me stability in my career, having been you know, around all sorts of clubs everywhere. To come in to a club uh, and, and Sven getting get, getting sacked after I think it was 12 games, to, to then think, oh right, what what we're going to do now again with you know a new manager? To come in and, and again, man management. I keep saying it; it's such an underrated quality in football. Leicester City are the Premier League champions of 2015 and 16. We still reap the the rewards of the foundations that he built at this club. You know, the title season was built on his foundations and, and we have, I think Leicester City has a, a, a lot to, to thank Nigel for. And Jamie Vardy has just speared one in at the near post past Pepe Reina. Jamie Vardy is closing in on 100 Premier League goals. Can you give us an insight on what he's like as a striker and as a teammate and, and just having him around the place? Only 100? It's about time. No, um, he... Again, his story, his journey has been exceptional. Um, he's a, a ruthless striker. Um, you know, he he has this incredible ability to just switch it on in games. Um, training, not as much. Uh, don't want to be on his team sometimes. No, he he. Uh, you can really just tell he he knows where to be. He's become, you know, very clever in his movements as well. Uh, but he still has that raw blistering speed uh, and he just has a predatory instinct of knowing where to be. And then most importantly of all, when you know where to be, you have to finish it and, and he does that every single time. The best or most important save that you've made in your career, which one would stand out most? Wow. Um, I think in, in, the, in the Champions League season, obviously in the Premier League winning season, there are, there are important moments in games maybe Tottenham away, uh, a one-on-one -on -one save from Harry Kane where he managed, you know, managed to get it onto the bar. Oh, what a save! Kasper Schmeichel! Again, not really like what you'd call maybe a great save, but in the context of the game and in the context of the whole season, a really, really important save. Who were your favourite keepers growing up and what made them stand out for you? I had so many, honestly. Um, 
I mean, the obvious one being my dad, obviously watching him a lot, but I, I was so lucky playing with so many good goalkeepers and being able to see them close up. You know, after my dad finished at Man City, David Seaman came, David James, you know, you had your Nicky Weaver, uh, Joe Hart, Shea Givens. I mean, so many, so many that I could mention. Um, I looked at a lot of keepers that were kind of my stature, my size. I was a, a massive fan of Ica Casillas, um, loved Oliver Kahn, uh, Santiago Cañizares was, was, was obviously huge, Buffon. Just so many to mention. I used to look and, and study, you know, every single day I used to study keepers and see how they trained, how they played, little elements of their game maybe that they could, that, that could improve my game. And I still do to this day. Luckily, we, you know, back in those days it was it was videos and DVDs and, and you know clubs sharing DVDs and things like that and then YouTube came in and then now we have these, all these scouting apps and all these things that are brilliant that, that make these things much more readily available but I always when I watch games I look at goalkeepers and I see what they do and, and see if there's anything that I can maybe use from from what they're, they're doing to try and improve my game um, and I think that that's been probably the most important thing in my career is constantly feeling like I'm, I'm evolving constantly wanting to learn which outfield player at Leicester, do you think most fancies himself as a decent keeper? Every single one of them. Um, they all think they can. They all they all get in there and try, and then it looks as awkward as can be. Uh, Vards does fancy himself. Um, Mark Albrighton loves loves going in goal. He's he's horrendous. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, it, it is quite fun to watch sometimes, you know, when training's finished and one of them goes, oh, go on, give me your gloves and then you go in and you get a good giggle at them and uh, yeah, I think uh, probably Vart, he, he's probably the one he fancies himself the most. Game day, your verdict on Talk Sport. So we thought today, because Max Rushton was just suggesting that perhaps we wouldn't have anything to talk about. So instead of reading mean tweets, we decided to do one of his other suggestions, which is first dates with Stuart Pearce. So here we go. <laughs> right, what would you wear to your first date, Stuart? Casual, something very casual. Ah. I'm just uh, maybe a pair of jeans, just ease down a little bit. Probably not this shirt with the, with the stick it's had today, but even <laughs> though that doesn't normally put me off. People have been berating your shirt. I'll just describe it. It's brown with um, pinstripe on it. <laughs> it's as good as it sounds. Thank you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who bought that shirt for You've, you? Sorry. Uh, I think it was a personal uh, acquisition, actually. Oh, I don't know. It's lovely. Might have been. Thank you. It's okay. <laughs> I it, I'm renowned for my poor fashion. I, I sort know. of try to live up to it. Luckily, you've got other talents, so don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Where would you go, Stuart? Where would you take your date? Uh, I think a meal. Mm. Followed by a gig, because anyone that loves me has got to love the Stranglers as well. So we'd end up at Brixton Academy, you know what I mean? And we, I'd, I'd probably flush her out a little bit, can she muck in or not, you know? So 5,000 people at Brixton Academy with a little bit of push and shove and a sticky floor, I'd have to find out about her, you know? There's no point. I'm not one of these ivory towers, you know, best, best behaviour type things. <laughs> Whilst my manners are very good, you know... You've got to meet the Stranglers and love the Stranglers as well as me. It's like taking me and my children on. They are my children. I mean, that's a com that's a completely different topic of conversation, isn't it? It is. Right, so what about... Well, you mentioned food. Who orders? Um, well, I'd, I'd probably flush her out a little bit, so... Soup to start with, just to see whether Nothing. there's a slurper on my hands or not, <laughs> you know. And then after that, corner of the cob and spare rib. What are her heat eating habits like, you know? <laughs> it's going to put her under real, real pressure. I know, it's horrible. When when it arrives, spare ribs, you think, oh, my God, you know. And she said, are you not going to join me on the spare ribs? And I said, no, anything that gets me fingers dirty, I'm not a lover of eating. So 
Um, I, I think that would be fair dinkum. We've jumped ahead a few phases here, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I actually... <laughs> I eat spare ribs with a knife and fork. That's weird, isn't Listen, it? Listen, I've seen you eat woodsy, yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> Don't do it on your first date, honestly. Uh, you're doing yourself no favours whatsoever. The most, di- the most difficult uh, uh, version of when you've seen me eat is definitely when we're in Old Trafford <laughs> and there's no space in the it's <laughs> tight in room, there, is it? I know. And I've bought something from home which I've pre-prepared. I've opened it up and it's absolutely yeah. horrible. You um, do eat the smelliest food I've ever do, known, though. Your homemade to... stuff, then I'll stink. It's supposed to be healthy, isn't it? It's this, supposed to be, yeah. If this was a date, it wouldn't be going very well would it red, <laughs> red wine or white wine i don't drink so ah. whatever, whatever the individual but what about is, for her problem. whatever she chooses right? what, exactly that yeah. maybe a nice prosecco some something like that but so i don't drink so I'm, I'm i'm a good date i can drive you know i'm not fussy so pretty much anything i'll drink whatever i'm given <laughs> flowers or chocolate so when you arrive in what would you bring them i, I think i'd bring flowers no. definitely but I've got a sweet tooth and I like my chocolate, as you, do, as you know, you? yeah. Well, I do, but you also like your shortbread. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, maybe uh, flowers or shortbread then. There we go. Be we an unusual one, you're only shortbread. <laughs> I'd love it. Uh, what's your best chat-up line, Stuart? Uh, listen, I don't really go... I sort of... I wear people down more than a one-off line, <laughs> to be fair, you know? <laughs> just constant messages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You haven't replied to my last five, just checking you're all right. He's still there. Yeah, I've still got a pulse there, you know. <laughs> I love this. Well, so basically, what I you're, think what he's you're... taking an interest in somebody. Nice. You know what I mean? Don't turn up and talk about yourself. I don't want to talk about myself. It's, it, it's all about you, really, you know? This is why I'm excellent on dates, because I'm so used to getting conversation about whoever I'm next to. Like today, we've just been talking about you and I've been loving it. Not just about you, obviously about football and stuff like that, mm. but uh, this is why I'm, I'm actually quite good on a date, because I equally don't like talking about myself. <laughs> that's a lie, isn't it? No, I genuinely don't. But that's a nice one. I like that. So try and get as much information out of them as possible. Yeah. But I've no doubt that there's a, a, an alternative um, agenda in here that you're also sizing them up, like you've done with the food, like you've done with whether or not they can handle a gig or not yeah I think you find out a bit about their personality a little bit rather than go oh we can always pop to a lovely restaurant in mm. London or whatever I, I don't live in those worlds to mm. be fair would you? you know I'm sort of more of a spit and sawdust type individual absolutely who pays for the bill me definitely really yeah what? I'm old fashioned like that I, whether you call it old fashioned or not I will offer to pay for the bill what if she was one of these modern women and she said no look I own my own money I can do this I want to pay for the bill would you let her yes of course See, that's lovely you know I, I certainly wouldn't go against that I would offer to pay for the bill if someone turned around and said no honestly I'd, I'd much rather pay my own way or the whole bill mm. I wouldn't stand against that either any horror stories so when you were a little bit younger because I know you're betrothed now any horror stories about dates any ones that didn't go very well oh hang on I think you're leaning on the mute button there am I you've just self-muted yourself I wish you lot had heard that is that it you're back don't worry excellent Yeah, you just... Probably the best thing. <laughs> mute with yourself for a couple of things there. That was a great story, though. Sad that you lot didn't hear Thanks. that. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, nothing springs to mind, to be quite honest with you. You know what I mean? I'm sure. That usually means that the yeah. horror's been on the other side of the table. Exactly. That probably has. I've just not seen it. I'm that, that <laughs> bullish. I just haven't seen it. Um, you do have an interesting summer coming up, though, don't you? I don't know. An interesting summer for your own love life? 
Ah, yes, getting married in May, there which is lovely. Congratulations. Thank you. It, I mean, obviously, there's lots of things that, that could be postponed and all that sort of stuff, but I imagine you're the sort of guy, like you've just said, that it doesn't really matter because your wedding will just be about you guys and it doesn't matter whether it's a big flush event or, or just something between the two of you, right? Yeah, something a, a little bit more low-key and rustic is more... In, in, our, in our point of view, I think. See, this is the great thing about not having any football on as we're learning these things about Stuart Pearce that you would never, you'd never know before. You'd never know that he's an old romantic. Uh, you'd never know that he is a shortbread and flowers oh. kind of guy. And you'd never know that he makes his dates eat <laughs> spare rib. <laughs> Soup. Soup. And what was the other one? Corner of a cob. It's just mean, isn't it? Uh. Absolutely mean. Uh, thank you very much. That was First Dates with Stuart Pearce. Game day. The biggest football league in the world. Game day, your verdict on Talk Sport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.